I had a, a girl three weeks ago, 14-year-old girl, run across the lobby out there uh, to me, and she and I had met at camp. I had spoken at a high school camp. She, uh, this is a few weeks ago down at Mount Hermon. She ran across the, the room and uh, remember me from camp, and I started to talk with her. She had a, uh, experienced a profound encounter with God at camp, and she'd come out of our worship gathering, and she came right beeline to me, and she said, this is what happened to me. I've, I'm, I've, I was part of a, I went to a Christian school, and, and I, I was raised in understanding about God, but I never really have gotten it. And what happened to me is that I have chosen to become a worshiper. Isn't that beautiful? And I, and I didn't know what she was going to say. I've chosen to become a, a God person, or I've chosen to become a Christian, or I've chosen to become um, a, you know, a Presbyterian. Like, I didn't know what she was going to say. But she said, I've chosen to become a worshiper. And it resonated with me because it was such a clear picture of our identity of who we are and what we're about here in this place on a Sunday morning. Like, why are you here? Like, what are you doing? Like, what, do you, what is going on here anyway, right? Have you ever stopped to think about that? Like, why are you here? I mean, there's a few of you, I think there's a few of you, I'm sure one or two, maybe just one or two, who are like, like you're here because you're like, oh, because my friends that I sit with all the time will judge me if I didn't show up. Like, there's a few of you that are there for that reason. But I think everybody is here because there's something happening within you as a worshiper, there's something within you that says, I'm drawn to that place. I'm drawn to that room. It isn't just this room. It's the place where God's people gather all over Marin County, all over the world. But there's something drawing you because there's something within you because you're a worshiper. And you may not have any experience in the church. You may, this, you may be fresh to this whole thing. I mean, I, I, I've told you my story that when I became a Christian at 13 years old, I was a youth group kid. I was a little youth group rug rat and just, you know, making trouble in the church tearing apart the, the uh, facility, and, uh, and I was 13. When I was 17, somebody said, you should go to church. And I'm like, why? Like, I didn't really understand. Well, okay, because that's what we do. All right, so I'm going to go to church. So I went, went to church for the first time when I was 17 because my family didn't go to church or anything. So I was just a youth group kid till they invited me. So I went to church, and I remember walking in and going, I don't... Man, there's a thing. There's a thing that happens. They're like, people know what to do. They know where to sit. They know where to stand. They know what to, there's bells and smells and whistles. And I don't know, people know what they're doing. Now, I didn't know any of that stuff. But there was something within me that drew me to God. No matter what kind of church I was in, no matter what kind of experience I was having, and I think you probably resonate with that. It may be the best way to identify, as that girl taught me that a couple weeks ago in the lobby, that might be the best way to identify who we really are, that what are we doing here? We're worshiping. Last week, I did a little bit of a 101 on prayer out of Psalm 32. This, I want to talk a little 101-ish stuff on worship out of Psalm 95. And so I didn't put any of the scriptures up on the screen. I want you to have a Bible open, and so I'm going to put the lights up a little bit and uh, have you open up Psalm 95. And we're going to walk through it together, and I hope I can get through most of what I've uh, desired to share with you before we run out of time. Psalm 95, I'd love to have everybody open it up there. This is just the first couple verses. You see it there uh, as you're turning. Psalm 95. This is kind of Worship 101, Psalm 95. Somebody have a, 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 a page number in the church Bible? 595? 595. Love to have everybody have one, okay? Louis, do you have one you can get for Todd, maybe? That'd be awesome. 595. Okay, we, we there? Psalm 95. 
Let's just go to that, mark that first slide. That This first few verses is going to start to answer the question, so what are we doing here? What are we about? We're about we, that we sing and we shout because we've been rescued. That's what the first five verses of this text are going to show us. We sing and we shout, which is worship, because we've been rescued. What do we do here? We're God's people coming, singing and shouting because we've people that have been rescued. Look at verse one with me. We're just going to walk through it. Come, let it, wait, just stop there. Come, it says come, come on. This is a worship book. The Psalms are the worship book of God's people, of the people of Israel. And, and, and the, the psalmist is writing, you, the community of faith, you, God's people, you community, come on, come on, let's gather. Come on, everybody, let's gather together. Let's get together, and we're going to be worshiping together. And so there's this invitation, and it's more than an invitation. It's kind of a summons. It's this, this God of the universe that we're going to get, go through here and understand. This God of the universe who made us is saying, now you come. You come, you gather with God's people. This is why, by the way, and this is, this is not about legalism. This is not about, you know, whether you're on vacation or whether, I mean, the, this is the difference, though, I think, between watching the sermon online when you've been out of town and when you're here. You notice the difference, right? Kind of lame. We're terrible preachers online. I know that. Because the context of the community gathered and the worship music and the presence of the Holy Spirit heavy in this place and the testimonies that we just heard, you miss all that online, right? There's something very special about being in this room. It's a place thick with the presence of God. And so the, the invitation, the summons to the God's people is you come, you come when the doors are open, you come and you be a part of this place. Now, some of you are like, I don't know, I come when I feel like it. I know, bless you. This is all freedom. You got freedom. Say freedom with me. You, you got to do what you got to do. But that's the power in this. And so it's, it's come is the summons. So come, it says in verse 1, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. This is a summons to the community to celebrate God, to celebrate Yahweh. His personal name is there to the Lord, to Yahweh. Come and let's celebrate together this incredible news of who God is. It's a summons to celebrate. And it goes on to say in the second half of that verse, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let's shout aloud. Come, let's celebrate God and let's shout about it is what it says. Now I'm telling you right now, that may be why this isn't always the quietest place. There's a sense of celebration in this. Now, is there a time for so What's the version of the word somber? somber somberness? Some, sombreroness? Some, <laughs> sombraniety? There is a moment. There are those places that are appropriate. We're going to get to some of that humility. And, you know, the scriptures are full of teaching like, um, shut your mouth because God is great and you're human. Like there's some of the, like there's for sure, right? Like be quiet because God is so great. Like there's some of that in worship. But hey, community come together. Let's celebrate and joy, the text says, and the second half of verse one says, and let's shout aloud to God. Now, I'm just telling you, there are times when we come here and people are like, gosh, like the youth pastor was just up front with his hat on and the, the preacher's got his little tennies on and, you know, Ben's got his shirt untucked. Like, like it may be a little foreign to some folks, but I'm just telling you, the kingdom of God has always been and will always be fundamentally a party, my friends, because this is good news that we're celebrating. And so this psalm says, come, I want to invite you people. 
I want to invite you. I want you to celebrate. I want you to celebrate with joy to Yahweh, our, our God, and I want you to shout aloud to his name. Now, sometimes, and we're so dialed in and locked in, like our social antenna is so good that there's very few people in this room shouting aloud to the rock of our salvation. But from time to time, you'll hear it, won't you? From time to time, there's that sense where we're like, okay, and does shouting aloud, by the way, describe the way that the person sitting next to you is singing? I just want to know if that's what's happening around you. We have this freedom. Some of you are like, I don't sing because my wife told me never again to sing out loud. Some of you are like, I don't know the words. Some of you are like, I don't know that I believe the words. There's all kinds of stuff. So say freedom for me again. Yes, but, but I'm just encouraging you that we come and we sing and we shout because God has done great things. And what does it say? We shout aloud to the what? What's in verse? The rock of our salvation. The, we shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Rock speaks of this. It, it doesn't speak of sort of just an anchor, which it is. It, that means stability and foundation. But it also is the rock of our salvation. And when the rock of our salvation is written about in Scripture, it speaks of, of God's role of this sure and solid, mighty deliverer. Like it is certain that he will come and deliver us. And so that's this idea that we sing and shout because we've been rescued, we've been delivered. We're going to sing and shout to the rock of our salvation because this God saves us, he delivers us, he rescues us. Psalm 32, last week that I preached on, it said, you, verse 7 said, you are my hiding place, you will protect me from trouble, and anybody remember this? And surround me with songs of what? Deliverance. We sing and we shout because we have songs of deliverance because everybody's story has the message of God having come through and met you. And even if you're at the very beginning of your spiritual journey, the fact that he brought you into this room and he's drawing close to you, you even have some affect about that this morning. That could be the very first time, the very first time that God has begun to touch you in the way that he comes and rescues and delivers and heals people. And the rest of us, man, we have story after story after story of big and small ways in which God meets us. That was some of the sermon last week. And so you can go back and, and listen to that if you haven't heard it. But this is God coming as our rock and coming through for us. Turn with me to Psalm 18. Let's just look at a couple other verses just for fun. Psalm 18. So go back to the, the, toward the front of the Bible, a few pages. Psalm 18. Somebody give me a, uh, a page number. Five, four, three. Five, four, three. Psalm 18. Five, four, three. Everybody there? Look at the little subtext, by the way. Um, For the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord, what? Delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. We sing and shout because we've been rescued, friends. This is a God who delivers us, who meets us, who rescues us. And I love Psalm 18, verse 1. I love you, Lord my strength. I love the affect in that. By the way, on the affect scale, some of you, it was, was it Ben and David were up here talking about they're the blue leaders in that little seminar that David took. They're, like, there's, they're heart guys. Some of us are more heart people than other people. But by the way, every one of you has a heart. Check your pulse. It's happening right now. Everybody has a heart. Some people are more in touch with that affective thing. Some people have bigger swings of the, on the affective scale. But man, there's an intimacy in worship 
that when we come and sing and shout because we've been rescued, there is a way we get in touch with our hearts. We go, I love you, Lord. You've been my strength. I love you, God. By the way, if you're looking to get, to draw a little closer to the Lord, you might want to break down, just break down some of the barriers of even the language that you may have used between you and God. Maybe the beginning of some of your prayers, even in silence in your prayer moment, is just to say, I love you, God. I love you, Yahweh. I love you. You're my strength. I love you, Lord, my strength. Verse 2 of Psalm 18, the Lord is my what? My rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. This idea of singing and shouting because we've been rescued is all through the Psalms. Go to the very end of that that chapter 18. Look at verse 46 at the very end, just because I love this verse. The Lord lives... Ben just prayed that earlier, didn't he? Ben's even just prayed that. He says, God, you are alive. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, the one who saves. It's all through the scriptures. We sing and we shout because we've been people who've been rescued. So what are we doing here? What are we doing here at church, you guys? We're coming and we're singing and we're shouting because we're people that have experienced the rescue of God. We're coming and experienced the presence of God. We're experienced, we've experienced God delivering us or delivering us and we come and we celebrate with joy over that. So our response to this Lord's deliverance is thankfulness. If you look back and let's go back to our passage in Psalm 95. Go back there to Psalm 95. Page number in case somebody lost it. 595. Thank you. So verse 1, let us come and sing to the Lord. Let us, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout aloud of the rock of our salvation. Now look at verse 2. Let us come before him with what? Thanksgiving. See, our response to the Lord's deliverance is thanksgiving. And that calls us to this when we're thanksgiving. Then we're worshiping and we're shouting. We're extolling the Lord. Look at the next phrase. And extol him with music and song. Extol is the exact same Hebrew word as shout aloud up above. It's just that in the way they wanted to make it poetic, they wanted to change it so it didn't sound so repetitive because our tension spans, you know, are like a gerbil. And so, you know, the English has to like, you know, but come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and shout aloud with music and song. It comes out, this shouting aloud, this comes out of thanksgiving. Now, I want you to notice something. It, worship in there, there's nothing about feelings in there. It doesn't say, come and worship him because you feel like it today. It says, come and shout aloud because to the rock of our salvation, with thanksgiving, come and extol him. In other words, we have in our stories everything that we need to come and be worshipers. And some of you are like, wow, really? Because so I know the difference between when I feel it and when I don't feel it. I know. That just means you're getting grace with a particular moment of, of emotional connection to your worship. But worship isn't just related to feeling. Which, for those of us that have a lot of feelings, we think we're great worshipers. No, we're great feelers. And for those of you who don't have feelings, you think, I'm not worshiping. You are people who can get in touch with the thankfulness for what God has done in your story, and out of that comes worship. You with me? Tracking, I'm seeing some head shaking, so I'll just move on. We'll keep going. I say that because 
We often think that the worship comes out of, oh, I felt this or I felt God. It's a little bit, my, my uh, analogy is a little bit like writing a thank you note. How many of you love the thought of writing thank you notes? How many of you love thank you notes? Really? Yeah. Three weirdos. All right. That's awesome. And, but here's what, I think that what you're, the, everybody hates the thought, except for you weirdos, they hate the thought of starting thank you notes. But here's what happens when you write a thank you note, right? You sit down to write a thank you note. You start getting in touch with this person who gave you something, who took the time to think of you and did something for you for which you're wanting now to thank them. And you're thinking about the ways in which they considered you and loved you and saw you and then how it felt. And then you're having this connection moment, even though they're nowhere in the same room. And doesn't your heart start to open to that person and who they are and how much they love you? That's what worship is like. And so at the end, everybody hates to start writing thank you notes, but everyone loves writing a thank you note because you've now had this relationship with that person that's been this dynamic feeling the love that they have for you. That's what worship is like. Sometimes we come in here with all kinds of stuff on our heart and our head and our schedule in our lives, and it's very difficult to feel joy. But when we rehearse the story, and that's why we do for 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 minutes, we're rehearsing who God is and what he's done, it puts us in touch with how grateful we are. And it aligns us. That's what worship is. So what are we doing here? We are singing and shouting because we have been rescued. And verse three through five gives some reasons. I mean, part of the reason is for the Lord is great and he's above all these other gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The seas his. He made it. His hands have formed the dry land. There's a whole bunch of really cool stuff we could go through there. Scriptures teach and the Psalms elucidate that this is the one true God and every other idol we could give our hearts to or every other false God who potentially lives in the sea or lives on the mountaintop or can be found in one of these places or is the God of the depths or whatever all these other gods are. The Psalmist is saying, no, no, no. He's the great God, the one true king who owns all that stuff. He made it so we can come and worship him. So then it goes on to verse 6. It says, not only did he make all those things, but he made you. And so there's a renewed summons in verse 6. Look at verse 6. There's a renewed summons to come and worship as the community because he made us. Come, let us worship and bow down, or come let us, what does it say in your, your version? I, come let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. The Lord our maker. He is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Come and worship again, it says, because he's our maker. And it goes further. So the top part of it says, come and worship him because he's rescued you. This verse says, come and worship him because he made you and... He made you for a relationship with him. Do you see it? He's our God. And we're the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. It's taken us not just worship him because he's the God who could smite thou. It's come and worship him because he's delivered you and because he's made you and because he says he's going to be your God and you're going to be his people. Is that not beautiful? And so not only are we here to worship because we've been rescued, but we sing and shout because we've been reconciled. Because the truth is that we constantly have been needing to be in this relationship with God and be reunited in this relationship with God and be reconciled in this relationship with God because we don't act and live as his people all the time. And this call to be a worshiper comes through the language of the covenant that God made with his people. 
I wish I had time to take you into some of these other verses, but I ran out of time last hour, so I'm not going to take you there. But the redemptive history of God is over and over and over again, God kept saying to these people, I will be your God and you will be what? My people. It starts with the Moses way back. It goes all the way through to the fact that it's in the very second to last chapter of our New Testament revelation in the picture of heaven. There's a voice coming from the throne of heaven that says, look, I'm making everything new and the dwelling of God will be with people and I will be with them and they will be mine and I will be their God. It's been the story from the beginning and it will be the story apparently through eternity. This is covenant language. God says, I'm going to uphold my side of the covenant. I'll be your God and you will be my special people. It was made to Israel and by extension, we get grafted into that tree and the promise is made to us. And so we worship because we've been reconciled. We worship because we have this relationship with the God who made us. And yet even as we seek to be his, by the way, I don't know that I'm tired of saying it, but I hope you're not tired of hearing that foundational good news. That this God is faithful in his promise to bring us mercy and grace and invite us into a relationship with himself. That is, that's what we're all about. That's why we come and keep reminding ourselves of that. So even as that's been true, even as we seek to be his worshipers, we battle against the hardening of our hearts. This is a brutal second way. This is, this is a brutal way to end this psalm. We battle against the hardening of our hearts. Every single human being is prone toward cynicism and, and, uh, um, and doubt and resentment and short memory span. The hardening of our hearts. So you have this incredible verse, which is the, 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 the pillar of this, of this beautiful psalm. It's the, it's the, um, the fulcrum, the, the crux of it, verse 6. Come, let us then worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, who make our maker, for he's our God. We're the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And then look at the next verse. And then today, if you hear, if you would only hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah. And he goes off to talk about this situation, Meribah and Masa. Meribah means quarreling. And Masa means testing. And he says, don't harden your hearts like, and he refers to this historical thing that I'm going to talk to you about in just a sec. Because in those places, your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. Now think about that. What we've talked about is we sing and, we sing and shout, we worship because we've been rescued, and we sing and shout because we've been reconciled, right? And so we've seen God's story And the psalmist is saying, you've seen God's story. You've seen him deliver you. You know he's made you. You know he's going to keep his covenant with you. So in light of all that, he goes, so careful. As you walk with him today, don't let your hearts get hard. Because apparently in history, Israel's history and your history and my history, even though we've had this story of deliverance and relationship, our hearts still get hard when our story, listen now, when our story starts to not turn out the way that we had hoped. And that's what happened in this historical account that he's talking about. He goes, your ancestors tested me and they tried me. They were basically, they had been come out of Egypt, they'd come out of slavery. 
You can write this down. This is Exodus 17 and Numbers 20. You can go look at that later. Exodus 17, Numbers 20. is talking about two different experiences. One was 45 days after they were set free from slavery in Egypt and miraculously rescued from the Egyptian army and brought through the Red Sea. And now they're in the desert and they were thirsty and they thought they were going to die and they grumbled and they were angry at Moses and angry at God. You go read the story. It's, it's phenomenal, right? And they're like, why'd you bring us out here? What, what do you mean, why'd you bring you out here? I brought you out here because you were in slavery in Egypt and you were crying out for generations and I heard you and I rescued you. Yeah, well, we'd rather go back there. Why'd you bring us out here to die? And there's a whole grumbling and we get messed up in our heads when our story starts not turning out the way that we'd hoped. What's amazing, of course, in God's grace is he sends Moses. He's like, okay, I heard him. So go take your stick and hit the rock and water gushed out. And then they camped by a place called Elam that had 70 palm trees, which is the symbol of a bazillion palm trees, and 12 pools, which is the symbol of all the water they need. So even though they grumbled, God in his grace still came and met them. Can you believe our God? That's what happened there. The other story in Numbers chapter 20, it's 40 years later. How long were they in the desert? 40 years. They started their experience in the Exodus grumbling, afraid that God wasn't going to take care of them, afraid that he turned his back on them, afraid that they didn't like how the story was going. And they ended their 40 years with an identical story, even of being thirsty and not believing that God was going to take care of them. And Moses had to strike the rock and water came out again. It's a whole different story. It's fascinating. Here's the point. Even as we seek to be worshipers, you guys, we battle against that human thing where our hearts get hard. And so you go back to the psalmist and he goes, don't be like that. Remember what I've done. Don't allow your hearts to get hard as your ancestors did. Their hearts went astray and they actually didn't know who I was. They it's like they acted like they didn't know who I was. And so he said, I declared an oath in my anger that they're not going to enter my rest. What does that mean? They didn't enter the promised land. They didn't enter he said, I'm going to get you out of slavery. I'm going to bring you to a place of rest. And they had to wander in the desert. And their hearts went astray during the time in the desert. Their hearts went astray in the time in the desert. Their hearts went astray during their time in the desert. Are you in the desert? I understand. We understand the, the proclivity to let our hearts get hard during our times in the desert. But the covenant promise of God is that he will be the rock of our salvation and that he will be our deliverer. Don't let your hearts get hard, the psalmist says. It starts with, we're going to sing for joy and shout aloud, and he's our maker, and we're going to bow before him. And then he goes into this thing and goes, but you're going to get some desert times, and you're going to be tempted for your heart to turn against God and not trust in him. He goes, don't do that. Keep your faith. Keep worshiping. Keep remembering. And so as we end this psalm, I want to go back to verse 6 because I feel like that's, that is the fulcrum and I want to talk about one other comment about that idea that we kneel and we bow down because we've been reconciled. You see, the truth of the matter is that he, made, he told those people in his anger, I will not allow you into my rest. Friends, here's the great news again. Here's the good news we can't get away from. That promise of rest is still available to all today. That's Hebrews 4 verse 1. It says that. The promise of rest still stands today. 
And Hebrews 4.3 says, and we who have believed enter into the rest. We who believe have the blessing of God. We who believe come into a, a, a relationship with God. And so that's good news. And so out of that good news, we bow down in humility. I wanted to come back to verse six because we didn't talk too much about the three words in verse six. There's three verbs here. Come, let us bow down in worship. That doesn't look like a verb. In the Hebrew, it's a verb. Come, let us bow down. Let us worship. And what's the next one? And let us kneel. There's three verbs at the center of this thing that says your worship fundamentally is going to be a worship of such deep gratitude and humility. Why? Because God's made a way. He's made a way even though our hearts get hard. He's made a way even though we wander in the desert. He's made a way through Christ. And so what are we doing here? Well, we come and we sing and we shout because we've been rescued. We sing and we shout because we've been reconciled into a relationship with him. And we also come and we bow down before him because he made that all possible. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's about coming together and saying, God, you did it. Look what you did in spite of everything that's against us, in spite of all the things we get ourselves into. Look what you did. And so we come and bow down before him. I can only think of the picture in heaven where the heavenly creatures and the heavenly beings are all in this worship place in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. I don't know if you remember that, that there's these, there's these creatures that have eyes all over them, which symbolizes that they see God, man. They see clearly what this is all about. And so they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Remember this? That's where holy, holy, holy comes from. Holy, 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 they say. And then there's these 24 elders that are gathered around the throne of God, probably representing the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints, meaning all of us. It's meaning all of us that are believers. And it says that they have crowns because remember that we're promised in the New Testament, not only are we promised to be in a relationship with God, but we're promised that we have received the crown of righteousness through Christ. We're righteous in God's eyes. That's a gift we've been given. But instead of the, the, the 24 elders strutting around with their crowns of righteousness, what are they doing? Does anybody remember from Revelation 4 and 5? What do they do? They fall down before the throne and they lay their crowns at his feet. And they say, oh my God, you are worthy. You're worthy of all our praise and glory and honor. You're worthy of everything because you provided a way. And so what are we doing here in worship, you guys? Singing and shouting and celebrating our redemption and our reconciliation and our rescue. But we're also coming here to humbly lay down our crowns and say, and everything that we have is because you did it. It's you who did this for us. And so we come in humility and in gratefulness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power and wisdom and strength. You're worthy of it all. I pray that that characterizes our worship as a church, in this room, out of this room, this Sunday, next Sunday, that we're people sing, shout, and lay down our crowns before him and say, you, look what you did.